Well, good morning, everybody. Let me just get this over with as we, as we start. As many of you might be able to see, yes, I'm wearing a University of Washington sweatshirt. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in case you didn't know, so my wife and I, so that's our diplomas have University of Washington on it, and sometimes that's, that's nice, right? And so we uh, were able to go and watch the championship game the other night, um, and so Washington did win uh, the Pac-2 uh, championship, and so uh, really excited about that. And uh, if, so that's why I, I made a deal mostly with myself that said, if we win, I'll wear the purple. And, and we do have one University of Oregon person from first service, and um, we got our pictures together. I was giving him a consoling hug. So, um, and I know, huh? Just pastoral moment. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that, that's why I'm wearing purple today. I know I'm not really a spring. I'm more of a winter, but, um, but we'll go with it for today. So those of you who know, you know. All right, so... <laughs> I better pray to get started after that transition, right? So join me, if you will, to pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for this morning, and uh, I thank you for this season, a season where we uh, consider the magnitude of this story that you came. And God, this season we called Advent, which means the arrival. We, we prepare our hearts to think about the meaning of your arrival, but we also at the same time prepare our hearts for your next arrival. That, Lord, we know that in between uh, your first coming and second, we still live in a world of tension, and we still live under the weight of uh, sin and death and pain and suffering and good days and bad days and all of that. And, Lord, we know sometimes this season brings out all of those things, and so we trust you are with us. We know you're present, and we ask that you'd meet us in this place that we may see you more clearly and be invited in to the story that you've been telling. So we thank you. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. It's about halfway through your Bibles. If you like to use your paper Bible, it's halfway through your digital Bible. It's just one tap away. So Isaiah chapter 9 will be there a little bit today. I was remembering a time uh, when my family was living in Jerusalem in Israel and uh, Christmas Eve came along, and we went to what's called the Shepherd's Field outside of Bethlehem to celebrate our Christmas Eve service. I know it's kind of cheating, isn't it, to go do something like that, of, uh, to celebrate Christmas Eve, but it was, a apart from the very large celebration that happens in the town square of Bethlehem, we were out in a quiet celebration where about 100 people gathered, sang a couple familiar Christmas songs, and heard a message from a, a bishop of Jerusalem who was speaking about peace. And in the context of living there in the Middle East, they know very well that this message that he gave was this. If we ever want to see actual peace, something has to change, utterly break in and change the cycle of violence and revenge that we, they, that we live in as, in his perspective. 
And he said the only thing that's going to offer us true peace here in Israel, and in that case we were in the West Bank, he said, is grace. The only thing that's going to bring peace is grace. And the only grace that's strong enough is the grace that comes through Jesus. That message was relevant then, and now it feels as relevant as ever, does it not? Not just in the Middle East, but as I thought of that, I thought, what are the areas in our lives where we experience conflict? It might be on a global kind of political level. Only grace can step in and break that cycle of payback and vengeance, and you owe me this, and now I have to do this in return. And, but we also have it in our own lives. Relationships, where maybe we hold on to something and say, now that you did this to me, I... I'm going to do something to you or I'll withhold my love or I'll withhold my forgiveness. And the only thing that can give us hope for peace is grace breaking in. Something that's going to say, I'm willing to change this cycle and the only place where we can find the strength and that powerful grace is in Jesus. And so today what we're going to explore, we're in this series called The Blank That Stole Christmas. And, and today our Christmas, our Advent candle was the candle of peace. And you think, peace is something we all want. But what steals that message of peace that comes from Jesus? It is the chaos in our lives. And so today we want to explore how the chaos tries to steal Christmas. Now nothing can actually steal Christmas. Let me just put it out there for you right now. But what robs us from experiencing the wonder, the joy, and the actual, uh, robs us from experiencing the truth of this message that Jesus brings. And today we want to explore how chaos does that. Now, when I say chaos, what do I mean? This is the definition of chaos. It's complete disorder or confusion. So it's when there's complete disorder. And we even have the biblical story where it actually begins. It says the word was formless and void. And that word formless is a Hebrew word that we trace to the word chaos. It has no order. And God creates order out of chaos. And so today what we want to explore is that what, is, what are the sources of this disorder in our lives and how can we experience the opposite of that, which is order, or I will say it's peace. And the biblical definition of peace is rooted in this word called shalom. Shalom is, it, it means peace, but it, just, it doesn't just mean no fighting. That's nice. As a parent, often that's what we want in our house, right? We just, can we just have peace? What we mean is everyone just be quiet and go to your room and leave each other alone. That's called peace. But that's not the actual definition of peace. Peace is not the absence of something, it's the presence of something. It's the presence of completeness and of order. It's related to the Hebrew word shalem, which means perfection. And so we see when the Bible begins that God creates the whole world and he says it is very good, it is perfect, it is shalom. It is the definition of peace. So we're going to explore that today and we want to answer this one question. It is, if, if Jesus is part of this story, here's the question for us today. How does the message of Jesus coming to dwell among us bring peace amidst our chaos? How is this Christmas story of a baby being born, if it's God in flesh, how is that the answer to a world of disorder? And we want to kind of understand why the story of Jesus even matters and why it's in the Bible. 
And then we want to explore what does that mean for us today? Because it's always important to finish with the question, so what? If this is true, so what? And we want to answer that. So that's where we're going today. You ready to go? So we are going to start, as we look at this, we're going to, uh, I'm going to walk you through the biblical storyline, and we've done this before, but, um, or the biblical plots. There's four main themes throughout Scripture. If you're part of Seacoast and you come often, you've heard these before probably. Why do we repeat them is because if we understand these, it gives us a way to kind of make sense of the world we live in and to make sense of the story. If we don't understand these, the Bible kind of becomes just a sacred book that we revere, that's disconnected set of stories and sayings and laws and rules, but it's not. It's one story that makes sense that's telling us something about God and about us. So there's four main plots that we need to understand, and we want to look at them today. So here they are. It starts with this, creation. That's the first plot of the scripture, and, and we want to always know that. that that's how it begins. And creation, we see it in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and it has peace and order. That there's no conflict between God and man. There's no separation, and there's no separation or conflict between mankind and one another. Does that sound like a great world? That you are always fully understood when you talk to your spouse. That you don't say something and they misunderstand you. In the perfect original creation, there was nothing separating us. Doesn't that sound great? Now, it's never happened in my house, but I've heard houses that sometimes couples misunderstand each other. That means that all of your relationships with your neighbors, there is complete peace. There's shalom that in the workforce. Everyone understands each other. Everyone loves each other. There is nothing getting in the way of those relationships. Your kids are perfect, and you are a perfect parent. Wouldn't that be amazing? We have a, also, there's no conflict with anyone. That's the state of true shalom. That's how the Bible starts. Now, it takes two chapters to change that. So by chapter three, we get the next major theme in scripture. And the, next, the second major theme that we need to understand, we call it the fall. And when the fall happens, now what do we have? We have the opposite of peace and order. Now we have disorder and conflict. So with the fall, we have disorder and conflict. That's the second thing that we see. And so... This happens when what we call, when we say sin enters the world. Sin is essentially us saying, do we trust God in his ways? He told us to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth with his image. That's what we're called to do, meaning live out your life as a child of God in the world, the, in the image of God. But we wanted to trust our ways and live our own ways. Now, ever since then, we call it the fall, and the very first thing we found was disorder and conflict. I've always made the joke, but we went from having perfect harmony with one another, and the very first thing we saw was shame and guilt. We felt shame. That's the first emotion after sin came in. We were looking at Adam and Eve. We were looking at each other, and they were wondering, do I measure up? What do you think of me? And they hid from one another. One minute, they were unashamed. The next minute, they were thinking, oh, I'm kind of getting fat, and you notice, And, and, and they're embarrassed by it. That's the very first emotion. And so they had shame, which led to guilt, which led to deception because they hid from God. God enters in. He finds them that they had sinned. And the very next story we had, so we started with 
shame, guilt, deception. The next story, we have jealousy, envy, and murder. Literally, we go from one chapter to the next. It's perfection, and now it's murder. That is the definition of going from order to disorder. Would you agree? And that is the biblical storyline, that apart from God, now that we live in this world under the fall. The, the era we're in is partly in the fall. But there's good news, and you need to know the good news. By verse 15 of chapter 3, so the Bible, we're in the third phase by verse 315, as God begins this story of the third main theme we want to know is redemption. The third main theme is redemption. And by verse 15, God gives our very first messianic prediction, a prediction of a Messiah, God's anointed one, who's going to come to the world, to the earth. And he says, through the seed of the woman, in other words, through your offspring, someone is going to be born who will defeat evil. It says the serpent, which is definition or symbolic for Satan and evil in the world. By verse 15, evil will be defeated through someone who comes to live on earth. That's the very first prediction of the Messiah. So as soon as we had the fall, we had the next theme of redemption. God is about redeeming the world that is fallen. And meaning, he's going to bring peace or shalom in a time of disorder. So here's the thing. This is where we live now. We are not at the final phase, which we'll look at later, which is called new creation. We're at the beginning of it. We're a glimpse of it. But that is when we go back to ultimate peace and order. But right now, Jesus offers us peace in a time of disorder. In a world where there's conflict and chaos, that there's somehow Jesus is the answer to bring shalom. So here's what we need to ask. What does that look like? How did redemption come? And so that's what I want to do, is take a moment to show how God has a story of redemption, this third movement, and then what does that mean for us? Because I want to tell you up front, the story of redemption isn't just about saving you from your sins. It's good news that God comes to save us from our sins. Would you agree? Amen, right? So God saves us from our sins. Jesus came to do that. That is true, but that's not all he came to do. If he just wanted you to be people who were saved, as soon as you received Jesus, he would say, great, you did it. Now come up to heaven. Your job's done. That's all. That's, that's the only reason I came was to save you from your sins. You're saved. Your job's done. Come be with me. But there's more. He didn't. He doesn't. Because redemption and saving us, he's saving us for something. Not only is he saving us from our sins, but he's saving us for something. That is how the story of redemption works in Scripture. So a couple things to understand. Those of you who like to take notes, uh, we're going to go through it quickly. Genesis chapter 12. God calls a person named Abraham, who becomes the nation of Israel. And he says, through you, the whole world will be blessed. This is God's story of redemption, saying, I am going to choose a people for myself, and you will be living under my rule and reign as at the time the nation of Israel. So I want you to live under the rule and reign of God. So he gives them a law. The law was not intended to control people. 
The law was not some sort of, as, as atheist philosophers will say, was religion is the opiate of the masses, or it's meant to just be a means of control. It wasn't that. The law was intended to show people what it looked like in the kingdom of God. So as we understand God's ways, say, I'm calling you to be a people to bring my kingdom principles to the world, and this is what it looks like. So they asked Israel to do it, and do you know how well Israel did at that? They did not do well. Yes, that's, a, that's kind of an easy question, right? Yeah, so they did very poorly. And there's, we see through Scripture constantly, they're called to repentance. They say, yes, God, we will follow you. And then the next week shows up, and then they fail again. And God says, okay, <laughs> I got to do something about this so you can see the, the depth of your depravity. And then they would say, no, 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 we repent. And then they come back, and then they do it over and over again. And how many of you does that sound familiar in your own life? Where you say, God, no, no, I, I follow you, I worship you, you're my God, and then you wander away, and then you say, no, I'm sorry, Lord, I want to come back. It's the story of us as people, is it not? But so as a nation called to represent God's ways, they were to be people of true justice. They're to be people of, who were gracious, people who were willing to give up of their power and their rights to help the others. They were to take care of the orphan and the widow and all of these things. They were to not live by the standards of the world, which is power always wins. They were to live through grace and humility with the world around them. And they failed time and again. So then enters in this biblical storyline, this is still under redemption, is the prophets start speaking out. So we have a big chunk of what we call the Old Testament are the prophets, and their message to Israel was, hey, if you don't change your ways, judgment is coming, and, but don't worry, there's hope because there's a better solution on its way. So you have to always know that. God never just says, you're doomed, so sorry. That's not how the Bible works. It's, hey, you're on the wrong path, but there's hope. And we always want to know that. That God gives us hope in those times of the hardest, most difficult times in our lives, and the times of our greatest failures, that God is a God of hope. The prophets keep saying, you're going to face judgment, but there's hope. There's a solution. And so that's where we really see the bulk of these prophecies that say, you can't, on your own, live up to this calling to represent my ways, so I'm going to send a Messiah, meaning the anointed one, the Son of God, who's going to, one, redeem you from your sins, and two, bring a new kingdom on earth, a new rule and reign. So that's where we find passages like Isaiah chapter 9. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. At the time of Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah's writing, this is in the, at the 700s BC, and Israel became a nation. They actually divided between north and south, and so they divided. They were fighting against each other, and the prophet Isaiah said, if you don't turn from your ways, judgment's coming. You're going to be exiled. We found they, the north is exiled first. A hundred and some years later, the south is, but this is what Isaiah's message. In the midst of that, he says, you're going to face judgment. You're going to be taken from your land, which did happen. But in the midst of that, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, he starts and says this. This is an, a, a prophecy about the future that says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. 
So not only are they hearing this message of follow the Lord, and if you don't, you're going to face judgment, you're going to be exiled, but in the midst of your exile, you're going to, a great light is going to shine on you in your darkness. Let's skip down to verse uh, 5 and 6. This is part of our reading for today. As he goes on, he says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government of peace, or to the th- on, on the throne of David, meaning one of the uh, Israel kings, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, he'll establish peace and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, this message was given to Israel in the midst of their exile. You're going to be taken away by the Assyrians, the south by the Babylonians. And after that, we talked about a few weeks ago, the Persian Empire. And after the Persian Empire, you're going to be oppressed by the Greek Empire. And after that, the Romans. And at the time of Jesus, he's born, the Romans are over, basically they would call it the whole earth, except for Scotland apparently. And they went over the, the whole earth, and they had a period of 200 years called the Roman Peace. You AP history students, you know this, right? Over there. So during the Roman peace, how did Rome get peace for 200 years? This is how they do it. If you go against them, they kill you. And therefore, there's peace. Sounds good, right? So it's easy to have peace when everyone who's against you dies. And and the Romans actually created crucifixion to kill and to publicly put on display anyone who stood against the nation of Rome. That was part of it. It was a rebel against Rome. We're going to kill you this way. And in Israel, we know that at one point, they had crucified, even at one point, up in Galilee, 2,000 people on one day. Crucified. So you want peace. You tell people this is what happens to you if you go against us. 200 years. Now that is the context now of Israel in the world that Jesus was born in. This is what was happening. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the the Jews. You have these prophecies that say a light's going to shine on you in the darkness. You say this now, right? You're going to see a great light, and he's going to come, and a child will be born, and his name is going to be Wonderful Counselor, so he's going to rule with wisdom. Mighty God, so it's God with us. Eternal Father, so this idea where you have uh, this, he's from ancient of days, he's over time. John picks up on that theme and says Jesus was there from the beginning. And then he's the Prince of Peace, and there'll be no end to his government and to his reign of peace. That sounds good, doesn't it? That's what they're longing for. The other prophets, Micah says, this child's going to be born in Bethlehem. We have in Zechariah, says this child who grow to be a man, and he's going to enter into Jerusalem on the colt, on the foal of a donkey. He's going to come in. We'll see that on, uh, on Palm Sunday in our calendar, where Jesus enters Jerusalem. There's all this imagery of a new kingdom and a king. It's Messiah who's coming. And so they're longing for this. Now here's one thing they missed. Isaiah chapter 53 is talking about the Messiah. And says this Messiah will also be bruised and stricken for the sins of all humanity. 
He'll bear the weight of the, uh, of the sins of the world upon his shoulder, and he will give up his life for all mankind. So they loved the conquering Messiah. They loved the Messiah who they thought was going to overthrow Rome, but thinking, he, wait, he's going to die for us, for our sins. They missed that part. And we'll give grace to them for missing it, but that Isaiah 53, we have it even in the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found before the time of Jesus. It was predicted and written. They weren't found before the time of Jesus. They were written before the time of Jesus, which I guess means they were found too. But anyway, So this is the story of Scripture to this point. God said, I have a plan for you. You are to be my people. You failed, so I'm going to send the Messiah who's going to redeem you from your sins, and here's the other great thing. He's also going to give you his spirit so that you can be my people ultimately. So his kingdom that he's establishing is not going to overthrow Rome, but it's going to overthrow the power of darkness and evil in this world. It's a different kind of kingdom. Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is now. It's at hand. Jesus taught us to pray things like, your kingdom come, your will be done on where? On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, this kingdom is coming, and it's my kingdom. When Pilate asked Jesus, he said, I heard you're a king. And he said, yeah, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kind of kingdom. So now the Messiah enters in, bringing a new kingdom to this world. And he calls the people to himself. And here's the good news. The other prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah said, you will be given a new heart. There's a spirit that's going to be put on you and this new covenant, this new way of living as my people. This is part of the story of redemption. God's people are invited now to be people in the story of redemption. When Jesus, right before he was born, the, one of the priests named Zechariah had a child named John the Baptist, and Zechariah spoke this prophecy. It's in Luke chapter 1. Look at what it says here. This is Zechariah speaking over his son, preparing for Jesus. He says, And you, my child, John the Baptist, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. In other words, you're going to be born right before the Messiah. And he will come to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, to shine on those living in darkness. So he's quoting Isaiah 9. He'll come to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death, and look at the last part, to guide our feet into the path of peace. That didn't sound like a way to overthrow Rome. The path of peace... Oh, should we do it the way the Romans do it? That's great. I'm, in, I'm down. But Jesus comes to enter in with something different. So now here's the thing. If we believe Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies, if he is the Messiah who came, something should change about how we live today. Something must be different about how we express ourselves and our lives if he really is that Messiah. And this is where that fourth theme of Scripture comes in called new creation, where there's peace and order. Now, there's a new creation that we read about at the end of Revelation. That means this is heaven. We're back to the original order, and everything is put back the way it should be. But we're in the in-between, where now we are actually first fruits. We're glimpses of a new creation. 
Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, says, you are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. So now we're called to live as new creations. He writes this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 9. He says, you once were in darkness, sorry, verse 8. Once You were once in darkness, now you're in the light of the Lord. So live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So find out what pleases the Lord. In other words, what Paul is writing to us is, in Christ now, the new creation is in you and in me. And we are giving the world a glimpse of the kingdom of God, of peace and of order. Here's the question. How do you in your life, as a follower of Jesus, bring peace and order into the world? Or do you look at the wake of your life and you see disorder and conflict and destruction in your wake? As people of the kingdom of Messiah Jesus, what is the evidence of your life? Is it peace and order or destruction and conflict? Now, remember, we're still fallen people. We're going to fail. You're going to have hard moments. You're going to have times when you bring disorder, not peace. It's just the way it is. But we have the grace of Jesus in those moments. But remember, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to live in a different kind of kingdom. I remember this summer, I was on sabbatical, and I had a chance to drive through uh, much of the east coast of the United States and the south. And one of the things I did is I went to a lot of the, uh, on the Civil Rights Trail to kind of see some of those key moments in our nation's history. And every time, being someone who never kind of grew up in that context, it, it was so challenging and difficult for me to think, how could we ever be? But one of the hardest things about the history of discrimination was that there were many Christians who were right in the thick of it. And one of the most haunting signs that, you, that is kind of a famous one, you see someone holding it, and it says, how can you love God and hate your brothers and sisters in Christ? And I think there's just something in us, if we really are walking and living in the kingdom of the Messiah, Jesus there's the one thing that has the power to break in and change culture. And praise God, many of the Christians were the ones who, who stepped in and brought the peace and shalom of Jesus into those moments in our nation's history and the globe. But it's so discouraging to think that we have those moments where we miss out on being the true kingdom of Jesus. Just this last, uh, recently, in our county, there was a proposal um, in our county supervisors uh, essentially to bring some regulation, and it seemed like a little bit of an oversight to uh, a lot of the crisis pregnancy centers in our county. And I don't know all the ins and outs of how that was going to be played out, but a lot of it looked like it was trying to shut down a lot of these crisis pregnancy centers that are sent, that are largely intended to help women who are wrestling with the idea of unwanted pregnancy and do it from a biblical, godly perspective. And the proposal was to put regu enough regulation over them that basically shut them down. And so I wrote a letter to our county supervisor, and my first version of that letter was the non-Christian version. <laughs> it was the version that says, hey, I'm superior, and I have really good knowledge, and you obviously don't, and here's what's wrong with you, and so I urge you now to change your mind because I'm better than you. That was, I didn't say it that way, but that was, that's the gist of it. <laughs> 
And I've learned in my life, when you write an email like that, you don't hit send, okay? If you haven't learned that yet, young people, if you have not learned that yet, sometimes you write something, and it's best not to hit send on your first pass. And it's even better not to put the, populate the email address even until you are sure, because you might accidentally hit send. So don't do that. Just write it, say it, and then send it to your wife who's smarter than you and nicer than you, and she'll say, oh, is that what you meant to say? So that's kind of how, how, how you do it. And, but then version two of it wasn't backing down, but it was one saying, as a person in the kingdom of the Messiah, Jesus, I didn't use that language, but how do I communicate love and grace and yet conviction? And can I express my opinion in a way that is biblical, yet is loving, to know that we live in a broken, fallen world. And so that's the version that I shared. And praise God, right now, at least for this month, it's been removed from the ballot, or from their agenda. And I got a response from our county supervisor, which I was appreciative, and so I was able to respond back and let her know that I appreciate the communication, and I'm open to partnering with her to find ways that we can come find common ground and work together on different things. And in the kingdom of the Messiah, Jesus, that's, I believe, the conviction that we have to have of being people of peace that results in order, not disorder and conflict. And you know what? Sometimes we're going to lose Sometimes you're not going to get your way, but in the kingdom of the Messiah, Jesus, we have conviction, but even when we don't get our way, guess who's still on his throne? King Jesus is. Amen? So there are times we're going to live in a world that's fallen and broken, and we look and we say, this doesn't seem right, but my king is on his throne, and so therefore I trust him, and I live in a world that's broken, and that's, I'm okay with it because I know who's in charge. And I know a new creation is coming when all of this is going to be put right. And by the grace of God, some of these people are going to be ushered into the kingdom and they're going to find this grace that breaks in and changes everything. But you know what doesn't change anything? When I bring disorder and conflict and I fight the way the world fights. Paul tells us we have tools and weapons that the world does not have. It's prayer and it's the spirit of God and that's what we will use. Because we live by a new kingdom. It's the kingdom of Messiah. Jesus. Let me ask you what kingdom you live by in your own life. Is there conflict and do you have relationships where there's disorder? Are you always trying to win? Are you trying to be on top? Are you willing to say, you know what, Jesus won through losing. He led through serving. He gave up of himself for the other. Are you willing to do that? Because in the kingdom of Messiah, the Messiah Jesus, it's not the, the only thing that will change it is this breakthrough of grace that is not the ways of the world. Are you willing to be people of peace? To forgive when the other person doesn't deserve it? To be the first to say, I'm sorry. To love. To turn your cheek, give them the other cheek when you're attacked. Are you willing to go the extra mile when someone asks you to give them one? You give them two. See, in the kingdom of the Messiah, Jesus, he says, my kingdom is now and is at hand, and it's not what you're expecting. I'm not going to overthrow Rome the way you think I am. 
but I'm bringing a new kingdom. Can we be those people? See, the message of Jesus, this, this message of his coming and Christmas is a new kingdom is at hand, and it does change everything. Yes, you're saved from your sins through Jesus. Praise God. But you're also saved for a new kingdom, the new creation. Just this morning, I got an email from someone we know who is uh, named Daniel Munayer. And uh, he's the son of a friend of ours named Salim Munayer, who is a doc, uh, Dr. Salim Munayer, who is the president of Bethlehem Bible College. He's a Palestinian Christian. His son Daniel uh, works for him now. They have a ministry called Musalaha, which in Arabic means reconciliation. And they take Israeli Jews and Palestinian Christians, and they go out into the desert and do a summer camp together to create reconciliation, to teach them to learn to exist with each other. Since October 7th, that has become much, much more challenging for them. But their work goes on. Not only does he continue that work, but a Palestinian Christian has the added pressure of being persecuted by Palestinian Muslims. And so they are kind of a hated group, but they work on reconciliation even among Palestinians. And just this morning, I got an email from Daniel, who was who's Salim's son, who used to babysit our kids. And he's saying there's a lot of pressure now for them to just give up the fight of reconciliation. And he said, at the very least, if they're not giving it up, they're being pressured to have apathy, to say, who cares? It's the Middle East. It's never going to change. And so he's feeling that pressure as a Palestinian Christian. And this is what he said. He said, giving up on reconciliation now abandons my dignity and humanity. At a time when political and religious leaders are pushing us down the path of hatred and destruction. So he's saying, if I do what their political and religious leaders are telling us to do, which is live by the kingdom of this world and play by the rules of the world, then I am giving up my dignity as a follower of Jesus in the kingdom of the Messiah. And I'm not giving that up because Christians are about reconciliation and peace. That is the message of Jesus. There's a ministry we're given, the ministry of reconciliation. And so who better to say it, to hear it from a former babysitter, to be challenged to say, if I give this up now, I'm giving up who I am as a follower of King Jesus. Isn't that powerful? What are you refusing to give up? I know for me, I'm not in the midst of a fight as difficult as it is for our brother in Christ, Daniel where he's facing literal life and death every day. And he's willing to give it up for the kingdom of Messiah, Jesus, to let go and to be about reconciliation and peace. A picture of order and completeness that we one day will all experience before the throne of God in heaven. And that will be a glorious day, amen? Every tribe and nation and tongue will be there united and no one is going to have conflict with each other based on where you're from or what you look like. We're going to be praising our King Jesus in all those different languages with all those different colors and all the different misunderstandings are gone under the throne of Jesus. Does that sound glorious? And the church is a foretaste of that. So may we never show the world the world's ways among us. 
May we be a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven under Messiah Jesus. When you enter this space with the church of Seacoast, may they see what it looks like in a new kind of kingdom. Are you with me on that? The worship team is going to make their way up, and as they do, I'm going to read one final verse for you. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, I want you to hear this verse kind of dwell on it a minute. It says, May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Not yourself, not the government, not your strength, your power, your money, your position, as you trust in Jesus. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, when Jesus came, he came to bring a new kingdom and to give us a new power. It's the Spirit in us. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's now. It's among us. We're going to end our time maybe a little differently. We're going to, uh, our, our worship team is going to lead us in a song, a familiar Christmas song. And we want you to just dwell on it, reflect on it. If you want to sing along, sing along. Join in however you want. But think of the great momentous thing it was that Jesus broke into a world of utter chaos, more chaotic than what we can understand. And when the message of Jesus was being proclaimed, consider how profound that was. And the one thing that can change the world was grace. And so consider that message of grace being proclaimed for the first time. And listen to the words, reflect on them. Just think of the spectacle it was of God coming to be with us.